We are continuing our series in the life of Moses, predominantly looking at the book of Exodus. Last week we did a an intro sermon, kind of a beginning. We did not meet Moses last week. This week we will look at the birth of Moses. And just a reminder of the setting of the book and what's going on. The people of Israel, the Hebrews, are enslaved in Egypt. And remember last week we talked about... <clears throat> It may be hard for us, none of us are slaves right now, it may be hard for us to relate. And of course, we never want to minimize the fact that in our world there is slavery. There's different forms of slavery. We need to be aware of that. Uh, But we also want to be aware of the fact that we are all enslaved in different ways because of the fact that we live in a fallen world. And there are hardships all around us as well as the fact we talked about last week, our flesh. The fact that inside our heart, We have an enemy, our own flesh. Even though we are in Christ, we still have this enemy raging. We need to be aware of that fact as we walk in Christ. So we'll have that in mind as we look at the beautiful story of the birth of Moses in chapter 2. So follow along. We'll look at the first 10 verses in in chapter 2 of Exodus. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Father, this story is so far away, and yet so relevant, a Redeemer. And Lord, we, this morning as we look at this passage, we pray Your Spirit would open our eyes to see You, Jesus, the ultimate and only true Redeemer, and what it means to be Your child. In Your name we pray. Amen. I remember years ago, I was 10 years old, I watched the movie Cocoon. I'm not going to go into extreme detail because it's not a great movie. But the premise is elderly, an elderly community, retirement community, began bathing in a pool for exercise, and they noticed these odd shapes in the pool, these odd objects, which end up being cocoons, hence the name. And uh, they noticed that they didn't know what those things were, but they were feeling refreshed, rejuvenated, young, and they loved that feeling. And as the movie progresses, I honestly don't remember it extremely well. I just remember they had the option, um, or the, the cocoons were placed there by aliens. 
Okay, so it's not a real story. And they had the option to accompany a cocoon. Each person can accompany one of them back to the alien's home country, or home planet, excuse me. And they would have eternal life. They would live young and useful lives. So it was like this perfect goal, or this perfect idea, except they would have to leave all their loved ones behind. So by the end of the movie, everybody but one of the, uh, the gentlemen took the option and went. Here's why I bring it up. I remember at 10 years old thinking how wonderful that sounded. Now, I didn't have any health. I mean, I had a little asthma, you know. But I was a normal, healthy 10-year-old kid. But even then, I recognized the freedom to have a body that doesn't age. The freedom to have a future that never ended. And I, I wouldn't say I tied that at all to Jesus or to Christ. It was just an overwhelming, refreshing feeling in that movie. As you think about our own daydream we live in, right? We all sort of forget the fact that we're aging most of the time. We forget the fact that death is all around us, and then you watch the news. And there's these stories this week. I won't go into any detail, but most of you might know a couple of shootings have happened, and and you're just awakened from that daydream you're living in. And you start longing for a greater freedom. And that's what we have with Exodus, right? With the life of Moses, that these... Hebrew slaves are living in a condition they want freedom from. But if, they're on, if you're honest and you watch these people, uh, the, the Hebrews, go forward, really what they're after is relief. And I would ask you that, this question. Are you after freedom or are you after a little relief? I think the Hebrews really, when you track their story, it wasn't so much that they had the full idea of redemption and a nation in mind. All of them, some of them did. But most of them probably just wanted life to be a little easier. And I think we fall into that trap as Christians. We are promised this beautiful freedom in Christ. We're going to talk about that. But many of us get trapped in the fact that we just actually live for a little relief, a little escape, a little moment of numbing. And this morning, I hope as we look at what Moses is doing, or what God is doing in this passage through the birth of Moses, that we'll see that because we've been adopted by the true king, we can live a life of true freedom. And that's the hope. So we'll have three things, the longing for freedom, the risk of freedom, and the reality. How did I word that? The reality of freedom. So starting with the longing for freedom. Um, This passage, if I just asked you about the birth of Moses, most of you probably heard of the story. And many of us would just assume that what they wanted was for their baby not to be killed, right? Remember verse 22 of chapter 1 ends, last week we talked about this, with the Pharaoh saying to all the people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And it really is kind of an irony, because it's the daughters that God uses, right? Pharaoh's daughter, and actually... Moses' mother and sister, daughters that are Hebrew, that rescue the people and lead to this beautiful saving of Moses. But they're not just trying to save a baby. There's something more going on here. And I would ask you again, are you, what, as you think about your Christian life, what are you after? And is, is your life pursuit also meshing with your pursuit of Christ? in your future, in the glory of, of Jesus. We all know, many of you know the quote, C.S. Lewis, um, his famous, one of his famous quotes, 
God is, uh, we are busy about making mud pies in the alleyway when God is offering us a holiday at the beach. That needs to be in our minds as we look at this. God is offering the Hebrew people and ultimately all the people of Christ this amazing freedom. And as we look at this passage, we want to see that and see how that longing for freedom is driving the people in our story. So let's begin with who they are. In the very first verse it says, a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. Later we actually find out she's a literal daughter of Levi. She's also a granddaughter of Levi. We can discuss how that works later. But they are Levites. Now, at this point in the story of, of Israel, that doesn't seem to matter. But when this would be eventually read the very first time, of course the Levites we know are the priestly class, the, the tribe that God used where the priests came from. And of course Moses himself was a priest from the tribe of Levi. So they're, they're, they're important. Okay? These, these, this mother and father are important. And they know very well what's going on from Genesis 15, we talked about last week, where God says to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And there will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for about 400 years. So, they knew, any day now, a Redeemer is coming. Right? And then they have the baby. Now, verse 2 is tricky. We're going to go verse by verse, right? Really slowly. Everyone's going to love it. <clears throat> We're going to go all the way through Exodus until, until 2025. Verse 2, the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. That sounds a little bit odd. I think we're going, wait a minute. So what if she looked at him? Ah, he's average. We'll just let this one go. What's going on there? Okay. The actual Hebrew, the way if you had a what's called a wooden translation, it would sound like this. And the woman conceived and bore a son and saw he was good, the child was good, and hid him for three months. It's just this consecutive and, and, and. And when you look up the word that is translated as fine or good, it's the same word that Moses, the author of this book, wrote for Genesis 1. Every time God had a creation day, what would he do at the end? And he said it was good. Right? And there's this really a sense that when when they saw their child, they knew there was a Redeemer. They knew the prophecy. They knew what was happening. And so they had in view the, the final and glorious future of being redeemed. And that is important. If you think all they wanted was just for their baby to live, imagine what would have happened had this ruse worked, which it did, and then they have Moses, but all the neighbor babies are being killed. Because that's kind of where I think as Christians we get stuck. I want my job to work. I want my kids to succeed. I want my goals to be realized. Everyone else, you can fend for yourself. But their goal was not for their own individual freedom. They were longing for the full freedom of the community and ultimately that would lead to the final Redeemer in Jesus. Even if they didn't know that's what they were wanting. I remember uh, we were, Emily and I in 1998 were in Japan. And we moved back to America, and I needed a job. <clears throat> I was an undergrad graphic design major, and I knew that wasn't going to work for me. We can talk about that later. I just wasn't amazing at that. Um, I wanted to go to seminary. 
but I had had some sales experience. So I went and interviewed, and I, the first few sales interviews I had were at places where at any time, anyone in this room could have an interview at any of these places. They're that kind of place. They're always looking for salespeople. So I sat down with this one. It was a copy machine. And I'm not trying, if I offend anybody, please, I, I ended up selling for another copier later. So um, I'm, I'm sitting at this place where they sell copy machines. I'm sitting across from the sales manager. And there's all this hubbub of young professionals out here making noise. And this is the kind of interview where he's trying to, rather than see if I'm a good fit, he's trying to convince me to take the job. It's like, trust me, this is going to be great for you, and it goes on and on. And at some point, he starts to berate the people out that they should all be out there selling. They should they shouldn't be in the office right now. They should be on the streets and hitting the pavement. He said, but if they could just see past their nose. And what he was getting at, and I applaud him for this, is if they would think about 401ks or or prospecting or all the things they could do. But when he said it, all I could think of was this. You sell copy machines. Like, see past your nose. You can't see past your, like, eyelids. Um, okay, and I didn't say that. I ended up not working there either. Um, but, and I, that sounds, I'm not trying to be, it just, I think we do this. We get our little hobby horses, the things that we really sink our teeth into, and usually they're good things. Debt-free living, right? I mean, there's, we could just, education, we can name some really important things for us, and we just start telling everybody about those things, and we forget that the, re, the really important thing is Christ in, in the future kingdom. And that's got to drive everything we do. Does that make sense? Is your life tied to the reality of Christ? What is your world and life view? At RUF, we talk a lot about, we, I used to be an RUF campus minister, worldview. I'm afraid we get into the church out of RUF and we forget this. We tell students this, we need to be telling everybody this, that everything we do should have at its goal the glory of God, right? Why do I go to school? Why do I have this hobby? Why do I exercise? Why do I study this particular thing? Is it just for me? Is it for my one acre Proverbially, you know, growth? Or am I thinking about the redemption of those around me? Am I thinking about the betterment of the community? Am I longing to see the kingdom of God? We just prayed the prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. Are you connecting that prayer to what your goals are? Is that driving you? Are you longing for the freedom of, of heaven to come into your present life? That's, that's the big question we're looking at. And so, the, so that's what we're going to see as we talk more about what it means to have the adoption in a few minutes. But longing for freedom, longing for the kingdom to come, but also there's a risk in freedom. When we rightly long for freedom, we'll engage risks. Okay, And, and we see that really in this passage, that's what it's full of, is risk. Now, at first glance you might say, I don't really see a risk. I mean... They didn't kill their baby. That was not really a risk because the alternative was to have their baby die, which would be horrible. But there is a risk. And the risk is predominantly this. Had they been found out, had Moses been discovered, the whole family would have probably been wiped out. Right? The whole neighborhood may have been further imprisoned. So there was a risk. And of course, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, the Hall of Saints, the writer of Hebrews tells us that the parents of Moses 
by faith, hid Moses for three months. They took the risk to avoid the king's command. When we walk with Christ, there is risk, right? There is great risk. But the reason for our risk that we take is because of the fact that we have the full freedom of Christ. There's another picture in this passage that I think explains this a little bit more. I want you to envision, um, as, as you read the part about, or as you hear the part about them going to the, they have a plan. They, they build a basket, they put the baby in the basket, they're going to sail the basket down the Nile, right? That's the plan, right? You following me? I want you to hear Mission Impossible music, right? You know, like you watch a show like Mission Impossible or Ocean's Eleven, and it's risky, but it's like, this is going to work. This is going to be awesome. Dun, 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 dun. Right? That's what's going on in this passage. Now, some, there are some scholars who think, no, they had no idea that Pharaoh's daughter would be in the Nile. You know, they just, they just kind of were, one scholar said, a lot of moms probably did this, and they put the baby there, and then Miriam was going to see which alligator or crocodile, excuse me, was going to get the baby. So, I don't think that's what we have going on here. I think they knew God is sovereign. They knew God had a plan. And I think this passage makes it clear. First of all, the word for the structure that Moses was placed in is the same word of ark, right? The same word from Genesis 7, Noah's ark. And every scholar agreed because of the word pitch and bitumen and all the different words that, that the writer, Moses, is explaining essentially this was like another Noah's ark, another redemption story. So the music's going, right? Mission Impossible. Dun, dun. And they're building this thing, the ark, and they're putting the baby in it. Secondly, for three months, this is me now. I'm just sort of gathering this. You can, you know, Cecil B. DeMille has his view. This is my view. I don't know. I think Miriam had staked out the Nile. Where does Pharaoh's daughter go? Where does she bathe? By the way, I don't think her bath was like cleaning bath. Most scholars agree that probably this was sort of a ritualistic cleansing some sort of a spiritual bath, right? So, which means she's maybe God-fearing. I don't know if that matters. But here she is in the Nile. And there's something else that's really interesting. If you read this, you have to ask yourself, how did they communicate? I mean, Miriam shows up on the scene. Hey, I'll go grab a, a nursemaid. How did Pharaoh's daughter understand that? Well, either Miriam said it in Egyptian. There was an interpreter like right there which is possible. Or maybe Pharaoh's daughter actually knew Hebrew. Maybe she actually cared about Hebrew people. We don't know. What we do know is when she sees the baby, she takes pity. And she said, this is one of the Hebrew babies. She doesn't immediately think, murder, get rid of the baby. Remember what my dad said? There's something going on in God's sovereign plan where the risk was completely calculated and trustworthy. And that's what risk looks like for the Christian. Do you take risks? God, um, one of the things that we talk about at RUF, and I say this, one of my things, I, one of the things I love about RUF is our philosophy of ministry. So I'm not trying to just do the big rah-rah for shame, but there is not a, I don't think there's a better philosophy of ministry. And the other thing is every campus minister has to buy into it. So there is a camaraderie sort of a fraternal, hey, we all agree. And one of the keys that we always talked about, especially in the fall, especially as we're about to head to campus, was God is at work. 
we call that one of our presuppositions. The idea that even before I get out of bed or even move to the field or do any, like light up the lawn, God is already working on the people on that campus, in the hearts of those people. God is sovereign. God is working. And in the same way, all of us, as we think about our lives, do you approach that life with that mentality? When you're at your office, when you're going into a, um, any kind of a setting at a grocery store, whenever you do, are you thinking God's at work? And I'm simply looking to see where I can risk. And do you take any risks? What kind of risks am I talking about? Do you even listen to people? Are you, are you at all interested in their soul? Or are we so consumed in our navel-gazing and in our acre that we've lost sight of the freedom we actually have, that we could actually share with others? God is at work. Are we even aware of it? Are we looking for those people in our midst that need His, his ministry, His love, His guidance, people to invite into our home, people to have a conversation with, grab a cup of coffee with, help them move, any, anything? Are we, are we aware as we go through our lives of these things? So that's the freedom, the risk that freedom gives us. It gives us the, the, the knowledge that because God is more interested in bringing His kingdom to bear than I am, and because he's called me in the process, like Moses' mother and Moses' sister, I can risk, and you can risk, and we can actually do things that seem dangerous to share the gospel and share the kingdom. But finally, I want to talk about the new reality of freedom. So, what does it mean to be set free? What does it mean that Moses is rescued? It means that he has a new reality, and so does his family. So Pharaoh's daughter opens the basket, right? Sees the baby, and she immediately takes pity, meaning she immediately the sense is she essentially says, This is mine. I'm taking this child. I'm I'm adopting this child. I care for this child. And it's amazing that the that Miriam is present and ready and says, Hey, I know I know someone that could nurse the baby. S- certainly Pharaoh's daughter had to nurse. This is the sister. I mean, right? Oh, really? That's a coincidence. There you are. I have a baby. You know someone that needs a baby? That's it, you know. So they send for the mom. Mom shows up, starts nursing the baby. And Pharaoh's daughter says, I'm going to pay you. Now check this out. Not only did Moses live, she gets him back. She gets to have him. And she's going to get paid for it. It's like, that's redemption. That's a beautiful end of the story, almost. And that's the situation that freedom brought. It brought this new reality that, that she could actually not hide anymore. She could not be quiet every time he cut. She could let him cry all he wants. She could walk around the area with Moses and proudly display him because they had a new identity. They were under the, the authority of Pharaoh's daughter. Right? It's shocking. And it's it's interesting that at the very end, this, this is really made clear in verse 10. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses. And there is a debate. Is that an Egyptian word? Or is that a Hebrew word? Well, why would it be dangerous to name him a Hebrew name? Because she's the daughter of Pharaoh. Hey, this is my son. And then, you know, Hebrew name, they'll be like, you know that's not right. You know he's going to probably be taken from you. 
On the other hand, if she names him an Egyptian name, why does she say in the passage, because it means in Hebrew, I drew him out of the water. And what's fascinating is it's both. It's both. The name is both Hebrew and Egyptian. That the name has this Hebrew meaning, draw out of the water. So it keeps his identity where it was from the beginning of his birth. But it also gives him a new name that in Egyptian means the son of or, or born of, and then most likely it's just a, it's a shortening name. So it'd be like, I'm not going to try because I keep looking back at you. You know I do. We have like a scholar back here that knows all the. We'll just talk to Thomas later and have a, a discussion on the debate later. <laughs> yeah, John McConnell, what do you think? Uh, hee haw! So, we have this beautiful picture of redemption. And in Hosea 11.1, 1, the, the prophet says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And of course, that's not just referring, that, that's sort of casting a shadow on Moses, but that is a perfect picture of the fact that Jesus is coming. Right? And when you think about this story, and you, and you examine all these details, it, to me, the striking similarity to Philippians 2, where you have Jesus who is not the enemy. right? He is where He belongs in heaven, but in order to rescue His people, He goes down and makes Himself a slave. right? Becoming a, a, not only human, but coming in flesh and becoming really a lowly person. right? And you remember their plight. When Jesus is born, they have to flee to Egypt, don't they? To avoid Herod and the desire to murder the true Redeemer. And so as we read the story of Moses, what we realize is it's a beautiful picture of Jesus. And this calls to attention as we read the Old Testament what we have to do. We have to look at it through the lens of the New Testament. It's not just that there's a lot of coincidences. right? It's that God, two things. God works in similar ways, and that's important, right? He has he doesn't redeem one way in the Old Testament and a different way in the New Testament. It's one story arc. But more importantly, his redemption was always pointing to Jesus, the final redeemer. And what's amazing is this picture of adoption with Pharaoh's daughter. And the question I would ask you, we talked about does the view of freedom give you a longing for the full freedom? Does it make you take risks? But my real question I would like you to sit on is, do you see the, your new reality? Do you see yourself in the new reality you have as a son or a daughter of the king? How does that sit with you? Do you believe, if you're a Christian, that God is that Jesus looked at you and not just took pity, but loved you? And didn't just rescue you and say, you'll be my own, but he died in your place. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he has adopted you? In the book of Galatians, which I love to go back to, and again, we'll have the Sunday school class going through it this fall. But chapter 4, Paul says this, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. 
In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the full adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent His Spirit into your heart crying, Abba, Father. And so you are no longer a slave, but a son. See, when Moses goes back to sit, or go back to live with his mother and father and sister and presumably Aaron, the, the crying of death was still everywhere. Babies were still being killed because of what Pharaoh had said, right? And the slavery was intensifying. We know at the end of chapter 2, it, it was even worse. That was not the final redemption. And here we are. Christ has come. Christ has adopted us. But are we hearing the world around us crying? Are you even aware? Am I even aware of the things right in our own neighborhood? The people in need? Or am I so caught up in myself that I can't share that gospel with them? And here's the answer. To the degree that we don't care, it's because we don't believe. Do you believe? that you've been rescued. What I love about this story is Moses had no doubt of his rescue. Everywhere he went for the rest of his life until we get to the next week's story where he's in the desert. That's another story. But everywhere he went for that period of 40 years where he's the daughter, the son of the daughter of the Pharaoh, he is royalty. Do you see yourself as royalty? Do you see yourself as a prince? A princess, I know. Disney does its best to convince you. But do you believe it? Or do you see yourself as a slave? I don't know if it's true, but this idea that elephants are, you know, as, as baby circus elephants, they're tied on a rope. You've all heard this proverbial idea, right? I don't know if it's true. Somebody can tell me. But they grow to full size, and they just don't pull against the rope anymore. Can anyone tell me if that's made up, by the way, real quick? Okay, let's go with truth. I know the frog in the kettle is not true. Okay, Just FYI, that doesn't really happen. They jump out. But the elephant, full grown, tied to the post, what I've heard, is they just quit trying to pull the spike out. Though they are however many tons and strong, they can easily do it, they quit trying. And this is where I think we are as Christians. We are given the Holy Spirit. We're called sons and daughters of the living King. We are given complete freedom but we live as though we're still slaves. How does that play out? Well, young moms. How do you feel about your child's education? Is it really always about them getting the best education? Or is it sometimes about your own identity? Right? Fathers. Is it about providing for your family? Or about looking like everyone else? Making sure your kids are not scorned because of something you've done to fail. Follow me. We're constantly measuring ourselves with other people. Preachers. Shane, this is for you and me. No, but I come up here and I'm constantly worried about what you think of me. It can become a prison. Are you living in that kind of prison? Are you living where you're constantly wrapped up in, in your identity in all the wrong things? 
because that will make you like that elephant tied to the spike. You'll not do anything. You'll have zero joy. And then we come to Galatians 5. And Paul says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Are you set free? The door is open. You have Christ. There is nothing to fear. What are the things you measure yourself by? We can repent of that. We can say, thank you, Jesus, that I no longer have to have a certain amount of money in the bank, a certain look to my body style, a certain workout program, a certain education, a certain job, a certain number of friends, a certain number of things to say. I, I was talking, as I think about my teenage years, and talked to my son and other just the amount of stress and pressure we put on ourselves that Christ has set you free from. Will you walk in the newness of life in Christ today?